This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango joined in studio by Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN and Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. Guys, you'll be happy to know that the very first time that we sat in here, I was not happy with my intro to you about you guys at all, and so I've worked on it. Have uh, you? Yeah, yeah, because I was like, man, these two dudes are awesome, and I got to give them a great setup. And the very first time that I did it, I did not think my setup was awesome, so I just wanted to make sure, you know, man, that I, you know, gave you proper credit oh, and, yeah, and, and, and kind of rolled off the tongue. That's always been awesome. Now you want to make me go back and listen to it. Yeah, I was going to say, now I'm going to have to listen. I can actually picture Donnie in his bathroom mirror in the morning before he comes in like, Coming up next, Alex Ferrario, 101 ESPN, and Jeremy Rutherford. The, no, that was crap. That was crap. Let's <laughs> yeah. do it again. Well, it's, it's in the car. But yeah, you got the right, you got the right idea. Rear yeah, you got mirror, the right bathroom idea. Bathroom mirror, doesn't matter. So I have to tell you uh, that as we do this podcast on Tuesday morning at 917, uh, I am, uh, uh, my brain is filled with nothing but Buffalo Bill negativity. Good. So um, anything in which that I can do. To move on and to not think about that game last night, to not think about how disappointing this season has been, to not think about all of the, you know, I, I think one of the things I kept thinking about last night as I was watching the game, and it kind of relates to the Blues a little bit, like, it's one thing to to get good, but that's almost kind of, it's almost kind of the easy part, and, but there's another level after good that the Bills have never been able to attain. And getting to that level is just, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. So now's not a good time to remind you that Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs helped me lose in fantasy football Okay, now listen, I'm going to say this, and I love you, Alex, with all of my heart. Okay. I could give six craps about your fantasy (laughs) team. And I had somebody on Twitter last night, I know how you feel, Donnie, I had all of my my fantasy team. (laughs) I think you're a nice person, but shut up. Like, I I, I just, I, I don't... I, I don't understand. And then when I see Ken Dorsey, when they when they when they go into the booth and they show Ken Dorsey, I just I, I just there's just venom coming out of my mouth. And then like I just I don't if the listeners could just see the veins right now. I was going to say, so, so it wasn't a good time to bring that up. Okay, oh, good. Now dude. I know next time. I don't know. It's worse to bring up that or Nickelback when you did that. Well, uh, I'm not washing your hands. Nah, Nickelback is fine. The, the washing the hands? There, that, there we go. That's there touching the nerves. Speaking so, of which, there's a uh, radio station meal tomorrow. Yeah. It's a Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. That's, this is the potluck that we were speaking of. <laughs> yeah. won't be in the No, dude, no way. I'm bringing a ham sandwich, and I'm not even lying. <laughs> Uh, so last night, um, <laughs> I got in trouble uh, with Mary uh, because... Uh, I hadn't yelled at the TV in a bit, and that changed in the nice. second half. And um, so she got on me a little bit, totally deserved. So a little bit later on, we're laying in bed. We're cuddling. And, you know, whatever. She's like, in the girl voice, what are you thinking about? And I was like, honey, I'm thinking about that amazing Burger King commercial where you can get the half an order of fries and half of onion rings in one thing. That's brilliant, honey. Why isn't that not everywhere? And she just loses it. And just starts friggin' cracking up. She was like, that's what you're thinking of? And I was like, yeah, honey, that sounds delicious right now. Tell me you would not want that. And and so so that like made her laugh. And she was like, Well, then I guess you're not that mad about the game. And I was like, Oh no, honey, don't don't get it twisted. I'm still burning on the inside. I'm just still funny while I'm miserable. <laughs> I thought that was gonna segue into uh 
adventures in the bedroom and hers thinking that way and Donnie's like man I'm thinking about a Burger King burger right now with onion rings and I'm just I'm thinking I'm hungry and then the whole mood just changes yeah she might have I don't, I don't but know instead you made the mood even more lighter yeah man I mean, it's a funny situation but don't you guys find yourself uh, sometimes you have to make up something on the fly just like uh, you're, you're kind of saying there where you're thinking about something that maybe she didn't do or she could have done differently or helped things out and she says what are you thinking? And you're like, oh, oh uh, well, you know what? I got a dentist appointment next Tuesday and just thinking about it, I really don't want to go. And it's like the Freudian slip. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking you should have uh, you should have told me what you wanted for dinner and I would have cooked that one tonight. Dude, I'll tell you the biggest thing that I tell that that I think that I have learned over the course of the last, you know, handful of years in Mary and I's relationship is the choosing and the picking of your battles and how incredibly Incredibly important that that is to any relationship. Yeah, I just never pick battles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, nah, not worth it. <laughs> my problem is I pick everyone. Yeah. Was, that's kind of my problem there, Jr. I, I do the same, man. I do the Mine's same. like, she's like, well, if you're upset about it, we could talk. I'm like, nah, who cares? <laughs> and then I think about it for 15 more minutes. I'm like, son of a damn, that does piss me off. <laughs> but you know what, though? You know what I do? You know what? You know what? <sighs> the Blues are playing well. Amen to that. You know, so at least I got that to fall back on. I came, because, I came home the happiest I've ever been after Saturday's game. Boy, what an ass whooping. Yeah. What an absolute ass whooping. And let me tell you my favorite part about the whole thing. And I didn't see this until a couple of days ago, but I've watched it a few times since. When Braden Shin gives Craig Berube the game puck and congratulates him on his 200th career win. Career win. Mm-hmm. There was... N- in so many parts of our lives, that sometimes the things that we see are fake and phony. And that was genuine appreciation and happiness and love in that room amongst those guys for Coach Barubi. I loved every and and on top of it, like Chief looked like it you know what I mean? Like he it looked, happy. looked like it looked like it meant something. Well, you know, man, like the emotional part of it. I just thought that it was incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And also, too, if there's any questions about if this is Barubi's team or not. Answer done in the grave. Well, that's the thing. And I think the Blues do a great job, especially on social media with those videos. And it goes back with uh, Craig Bruby, back to that Stanley Cup Game yep. 7 against Boston video. I mean, if they don't have that speech recorded, oh, my gosh. Like, that's that's. Oh, yeah. I will run through a wall right now yeah. if I hear that oh, speech Oh, I still again. get goosebumps <laughs> listening to that speech. But a lot of times you'll see these post-game videos. And I think you're right, Donnie. It does. Even the media lets us inside to see what happens. We don't see that on a normal basis. And so to see uh, Braden Shen present the puck, 200 wins, I got to do my chief imitation. Oh, okay, thanks, guys. Guys, you think you know? Okay. Uh, sometimes you know he doesn't know that the milestone's coming up, but uh, and, and then to see his reaction, which I thought was genuine, and some of my first thoughts we traded text last night, Donnie, is that I hear so many people. Well, the message get, is getting stale. They don't like this guy. You know his his whatever he's teaching. It's just not resonating. And it's like, come on, people. Like a lot of this team wasn't even around three or four years ago. Yeah. It's changed so different. And guys like Braden Chen are the guys who have been there since the Stanley Cup, obviously, and you see the love and respect he has for Craig Bruby. I, I, I heard Randy Carricker talk about this yesterday morning, and I'm very interested to get you guys' perspective on this. He gave Coach Berube a mountain of credit for being able to develop young players. Oh, yeah. And so, and I was kind of thinking about that, and I'm like, Robert Thomas, we all kind of, I was worried, bringing him along slow, bringing him along, it was perfect, perfect pace. 
Seems like it's been the same for, for Cairo. So then to me, man, that just gives me all kinds of hope for the next rung of Jake Neighbors and then of whomever else is, is next that he is going to be a great guy for a, a young player. This is why when people, it, it irritates the hell out of me when it gets to the point where it's, well, Craig Berube can't coach this team or it's got too much skill and Craig Berube's a physical coach. If you look at the development of the guy, the younger players that he's had his hands on, I mean, start all the way back with Ivan Barbashev. Oh, he had Ivan yeah. Barbashev with the Chicago Wolves, and Barbashev was a top-line center for him when he was in the AHL. And what did he finish that one, one season? He had like 60 points or something in the AHL. And then he comes to the NHL, and he's a fourth-liner and graduates towards being a third-liner, a second-liner. And then he has the season prior to him being traded where he put up like 60-something points. But Toropchenko has developed now into a guy that you can rely upon. You mentioned Thomas. You've got Jordan Cairo. Look at the defenseman side of things with Tyler Tucker and the continued development of some of these guys and the goaltender side of things. Like his coaching staff has their hands on all of these younger players that are growing it's tough to find those coaches that have that massive of an impact on young players that develop into something, especially guys that are drafted in the first, late first round, second round. Now think of him having his ability to to groom Dalibor Dvorsky and Jimmy Snuggerud and with Jake Neighbors and Zachary Bolduc and Zach Dean. Like this prospect pool is, is full right now, at least with a forwards, and you've got a coach who knows how to develop these players into what they should be. Yeah, and here's the thing with Bruby, and this is why he's you know been able to make the transition from a thousand games in the NHL as a player to coaching and now 200 wins with the St. Louis Blues is he's a communicator I know that word sometimes gets thrown around a lot he's a good communicator okay what's it mean well being in the Blues locker room for a long time you know I've been around where coaches didn't talk to the players and tell them what they needed to do better they just expected it and the player was supposed to interpret what the coach wanted and sometimes they misinterpreted didn't do the things that he wanted <laughs> but you know just kind of making up a situation on the fly here is uh you would go up to robert thomas and say man you're playing 12 minutes last night you know the other night you're playing 16 17 you know what happened well chief came up to me in the morning skate and said he wants to see this this and this i said you know how important is that to you he said, phenomenal like a lot of times you don't get that and obviously Bruby's the only coach he's had uh, in the nhl but i think it's a situation where they know and they hear their friends around the league talk about the coaches that they're dealing with craig Bruby's really good at that and it's not just him typically it's his uh, staff too you'll see a lot of the assistant coaches alex you see it morning skate they take the ice they're doing their laps yep. and what do you see the assistant coaches right in the ear of some of these guys another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I mean, it just, I always say like if you fire a coach because a team's underperforming, you're going to spend the next however many years finding the next coach. Edmonton right now, they just oh fired Jay boy. Woodcroft. That is their sixth coach that they've had since Connor McDavid was drafted and two general managers. Like, you're always searching for that next coach. Colorado, for how dominant they are, and I think Jared Bednar is one of the best coaches in the league. But remember, they went through Patrick Waugh. They went through a couple of other coaches to get to Jared Bednar. So when you get rid of a coach... This is why you don't get rid of one that you know has the skills to develop young players, has the, the, the system in place that you know works when you have the right players with it, and he gets the best out of those players. And 
to, to your point of communicating, and, and this goes back, I mean, what, with TJ Oshie, you remember Oshie talking about over, God, what, what was the word he used? It was like over, overstimulated. Stimulated because yeah, of the video. All the numbers yeah. and all the videos that Ken Hitchcock and his staff are throwing at him. And that's no shot at Ken Hitchcock, but that was a guy who kind of did the old school route where it was like, figure out what we're talking about. And the assistants did a lot of it, where now your head coach is not doing that. Yeah, I remember we walked up to Oshie Stahl one day and I said, uh, you missed the last couple of days with the flu. You know, do you feel better? And he said, yeah, a little refreshed, not watching two days worth of video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I remember everybody lost their mind about it. It was like, oh, my God, TJ Oshie's done understanding what the coaching – it's like, no, that's not what this is. The game changed into what it is now to where the communication aspect of it is a lot more important with the coaching staff. I want to go back to the Blues in a second here, guys. But if you are Ken Holland and you are in charge of the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, what, I mean, what are you going to do? And I see people talk about – you know, maybe the breaking up of McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. But to me, man, like, we talked about this last week. You went into the season with Jack Campbell as your freaking number one goaltender. Like, until you get a goalie on that team, you, dude, I feel like you're just going to be treading water. Is that wrong to say? What do you? How do you think that that goes up there? No, I, I agree with you. The only thing is when you have the cap and you have those two expensive players, you have some other guys, uh, you know, you're hoping that Skinner can be that guy, and he showed that he kind of could, and you're kind of banking on that a little bit, and then you bring in Campbell. You know, they're just decisions that they make that probably aren't the best decisions, and obviously they didn't turn out well. So, yeah, I think you don't even have to say in hindsight – Yes, if you have that team together and it's a Stanley Cup contender, you got to put a better goalie in than it. But they're just not that easy to find, which we right. talked about. Right, right, right. And it's not even just McDavid and Drysaddle because look, I, I mean, I'll pay Nurse twenty three million dollars to those two guys. But yeah, Darnell Nurse is making nine and a half million dollars. I'm looking this up. What did they pay? They they're paying Evander Kane five point one two five. They're paying Zach Hyman five and a half mil. They've got Nugent Hopkins at five point one two five, and then you also traded for. Matthias Ekholm, who's making six million dollars. So I mean, like this is—it's the NHL. It's the salary cap. You pay your best guys a load of money, so that's going to take a much of the salary cap. But as much as people complain about the Blues and all the money tied up on defense, you've got fifteen and a half million dollars tied up in two defensemen, and you've got your top six, which is basically eating forty million dollars in the cap. So like that's sixty million dollars in the caps at what eighty-eight right now. No, no, 83-5. So, I mean, th- we're talking about like five or six players on this team that's eating up more than half of your team. That is the, that's the equivalent of you rostering a bunch of minimum salaries on your bottom six and your bottom four defense or minimum salaries and your goaltender. Like, it's not an easy team to put it together if you're doing all of that. Man, oh, man, oh, man. It's just, and we talked about it last week too. That's just always going to forever be a team, probably because of Gretzky, probably because it's in Edmonton. That I'm just always going to kind of have a have an eye on and a little bit of a, of an affinity for. Jeremy, uh, last night uh, I read your fantastic article um, in the Athletic last week and interview with Scott Perunovic. Um, I got to tell you that that kid seems to be saying exactly all of the right things that you could ever possibly want to hear. Like, there doesn't seem to be a single bit of complainer in that kid at all. It seems to be like, uh, it is what it is. I got to work. I got to make my my place. I'm here to do it. He, I mean, he just, it seemed as positive as a dude could be that is sent spent as much time in the press box this year as he has. Yeah, first of all, he's a great kid. You know, he comes from Hibbing, Minnesota, which we know by now after the tragedy there in Hibbing, and he was friends 
uh, with uh, Adam Johnson. And and I think in in talking and working with Scott Prunovich for a couple years now, we did a training camp diary a few years ago where every day he submitted something that happened to him that day that we could use for for a diary. Um, He's got a good head on his shoulders, and he comes from a good family. And I knew when he spoke last week at his his stall that the two or three – uh, reporters converge on his locker that he's gonna say the right things right because right. first of all he's respectful second of all he wants to get and stay in the lineup and he's not gonna be an issue a problem he just wants to play like I did a piece on him last year when he came back from these injuries and he was like you know first couple injuries a little bit fluky third one's on me I just want to be in the lineup so he works and he overcomes all that mental challenges of saying I can play in the NHL even if people don't think I can. Well, now he comes to camp. He's healthy. He's ready. But the Blues have eight defensemen. (laughs) So how does he get into the lineup? So he finally does. But, Donnie, you know, you can't have a situation where you're thinking that first mistake is going to put you in the press box. You you just want to stretch games. That's what he wanted. And I thought he eloquently told us that last week. It's wild to think about because let's say two years ago he doesn't get injured, one of those fluke injuries that he talked about. You're probably talking about him progressing to the point that the Blues are like, hey, we're, we're seeing something here. Maybe they don't trade for Nick Letty that offseason, and Scott Perunovich the next season is probably an everyday guy that's continuing to grow. That's just the fluke injuries and how they impact your, your, your career. I, I, at least in these last couple of games, I don't really take into the 11 forwards and 7 defensemen game under evaluation with him because it's so tough as a defenseman when there's 7 of you. You're only used in specific situations. You're not out there at 5-on-5 five five consistently. Man, that game against Colorado and then the other one against Arizona, the way that he controlled the puck and moved the puck at 5-on-5, five five, I, I felt like he deserves a sustained look right now. Like Offensively, it's going to come. Driving some offense, specifically that Arizona game, it felt like at least Corsi rating, if you go off of that, which is puck puck possession measurement, it was on his side pretty much the entire night. So the offense will come, but defensively, he's making the right moves. And Craig Rui talked about it's all about puck transition. It's all about zone exits. If you're doing that quickly, you're playing in this lineup, and he's been doing it. Well, and it goes back to what we were saying just a bit ago about Coach Berube being upfront and honest with his players. I mean, <clears throat> saying bluntly, hey, man, you had to come in to training camp and take a spot. We don't think that you did that. I mean, yeah, that that is tough to hear, but man, you know, I mean, it's the challenge to to get yourself back in there. What do you think he has to do to consistently be in the line? Be consistent, and yeah. and, and um, it has to do a lot with sense. yeah, yeah, with, <laughs> with, with, with playing well in his own defensive zone. Because we all know he can handle the puck. We all know that he can handle the power play. But he's got to play well in his defensive zone. But here's the the question that I want to pay attention to going forward: is what are they going to do? Because you're trying to give Tyler Tucker some experience. You gave him a long stretch of games early in the season. Now you're giving that to Scott Prinovich. It looks like he's kind of taken off with it a little bit. What are you going to do with Tyler Tucker? Because you can't put him on waivers and and send him to Springfield. He'd get picked up probably. Um, But now you're competitive. You've won four out of five, and Scandella is helping you. you Mm got to keep in the lineup. I think they're okay with keeping Bortuzzo out. He'll just fill in when needed. But what do you do with this Tyler Tucker, Scott Prinovich thing? Maybe it's going to be a game-by-game basis. I mean, I think it has to be. I think right now your team – if you look at in segment it, the first eight games, you weren't get, scoring any offense. I mean, your team, you put the tweet out, JR. I mean, you were averaging like 1.2 goals a game. Now, in five games, you're averaging 4.2 goals per game. I'm not saying that's all Scott Perunovich, but why mess up the chemistry right now when it's working? And a third pair defenseman, you're playing 12, 13 minutes a night. Maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference. But I personally view this as 
Tyler Tucker is going to go through the same thing Scott Perunovic went through, where you're going to sit probably for 12, 13 games and not get in the lineup. You're going to have to watch from up top until something happens. But, man, the flow right now on defense is working really well. And we're talking about a team that's being stingy on the defensive side, but now is creating offense. I, I just don't think you touch it. All right. So um, last night, NHL, uh, the the Hall of Fame induction happens last night. And I have a question to start before we get into Coach Hitchcock and, and Pierre Turgeon making it into the Hall of Fame. I obviously, huge Pierre Turgeon fan when I was a kid, mm-hmm. an amazing player. But it makes, and I've talked to Jamie about this a bunch of months ago, it makes absolutely zero sense to me, zero sense, that somebody like him is in the Hall of Fame and Alexander Mogilny is not in the Hall of Fame. I don't understand <laughs> that, even in the freaking slightest. And even after talking to Jamie a little bit more, I didn't realize how much of Mogilny's literal like life was spent being afraid of the Russian government for defecting. So on top of being an amazing player... And one of the greatest Russian players that ever came. I guys, that makes no sense to me. Why he is not in there, like none. Yeah, I don't know the argument uh, against him. And we're not in the the room, right? And I think and they don't ever have to talk. They the don't people have to that, talk. Yeah. Yeah, there's 16, 17 people in the room, and they change every few years. And he still doesn't get in. But we do kind of a mock Hall of Fame for the Athletic every year, and every year he's one of our four guys that's going in, which he uh, should be, which he should be. And I don't have an answer for you. That's so crazy. But you know, I remember. As a kid watching Tom Barrasso on like 64 different teams. And I had no idea that he came right out of high school yep. to the NHL. Fascinating, man. There's so many of these things. But uh, I specifically, I want to start with uh, Coach Ken Hitchcock because it seems to me that, you know, that 2019 Stanley Cup team, obviously coached by Chief, but man, like the foundation of some of that is with Hitch. And I love listening to that guy talk about hockey. Like, I just freaking love it. And you guys both got to kind of interact and get to know him and yeah. and, and that sort of thing. Can you just kind of talk about Hitch the guy? I mean, I know JR is going to have more stories than me because I just started, like, 2013 was when I started covering the team for KMOX. And so I got a bulk of it, but I didn't get all of it. I mean, listening to how structured his answers were on on like the, the key points of hockey the dude just loved hockey like everything about it he would talk about the books that he read what I used to love most was at the end of practices he would stand up there in his Ken Hitchcock hockey jersey uh, sweater and he would stand there he would answer all the questions the television people would leave a couple of others would just leave and it would be me JR Lou, a couple of others, and he would just sit down in his chair and he would just start talking hockey. It would be like a like an open session where he would just take questions from everybody. Yeah, we called it the fireside chat. Yeah, yeah that's was... exactly. He would just sit there, and I mean, this guy would talk. I used to have to leave because it's like, man, I got, I'm going to be late. He uh, would talk for an hour, 100. percent So, Donnie, just to how awesome. Yeah, I know. Add even more context to what he's saying. He's he's spot on here. Is in the NHL, the coaches come out, they go to the podium, the seven or eight reporters ask a few questions. As soon, the second you're done with the last answer, boom, coach is gone. <laughs> the first couple times that Hitch did that, Alex, you probably remember, he'd finish up at the podium. We'd start to stand up and grab our recorders and walk out of the room, and all of a sudden, Hitch would be grabbing a chair – setting it down in front of him and goes, all right, guys, pull up a chair. <laughs> yeah. we're like, so we'd make a circle of chairs and stand there. Now, this stuff was off the record, but he knew it could right. help you with your articles. But, Alex, you know, no reason to name names, but um, you'd say, hey, coach, uh, you know, so-and-so played six straight games, but he hasn't played the 
last couple, what's going on? He goes, he can't play. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what do you mean he can't play? Well, you watch him, he can't skate. <laughs> like, you're kidding me. And, and Alex, there were so many times where I was so regretful because my boss is texting and he wants me to do you know a chat at the St. Louis Post Dispatch, or I had to go do an interview and I would have to get up and walk out and hit oh, you. Yeah. Hit you. Where are you going? It's <laughs> like I can't believe I'm walking out of this. He's asking where you're going. I mean, the the dude was just full of knowledge. I mean, every single time he would break plays down. I'll never forget in one of the post game scrums. I forgot who asked the question, but they asked a specific question about why the play went the way it did. And Hitch would like he looked. He goes. Wow, you know hockey about as well as I do. And I'm like, man, that, that's like the, the feather in the cap for that reporter. Yeah. I'll tell you, though, that my favorite story, and I'm sure you remember this, JR, was the player, The play, he was a hard ass, but the players loved playing for him. And Ryan Reeves, after a Ken Hitchcock scrum, he came out with a pillow stuffed in his jacket and stood up there and acted like Ken Hitchcock. <laughs> Whole voice, he's like, all right, boys, what's, what, what questions we got today? Fire away, folks. And, and then Hitch would walk out and see Ryan Reeves and be like, what the hell is this? It was amazing. Okay. No, go ahead, Jay. No, just a couple quick ones. Uh, real quick uh, is that um, I remember sitting in the lower bowl with Ken Hitchcock watching practice because he didn't go out for all the practices and, and skate with the team. He'd kind of sit in the seats every once in a while. I'm sitting right next to him. And whenever I would get asked about Jordan Bennington and his odds of making it to the NHL, I kind of poo-pooed it. I would say, yeah, I just don't think so. That's a complete long shot. And part of the reason I couldn't say it was because I sat next to Ken Hitchcock for one of those practices. And Jordan Bennington let a couple in, and Ken's sitting next to me, and he goes, Swiss cheese. This goalie's Swiss cheese. All the pucks are getting by him. And, and it, yeah, he's not, I don't think he's going to make it. And eventually, obviously, he did. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm listening to Ken Hitchcock say, yeah, he yep. can't stop yeah. the puck. And then the one I'll never forget, too, is, um, again, NHL reporters are so used to the secrecy of the head coaches, they won't say anything. Um, I had to put together what I thought was going to be the lineup later that night for the game, the projected lineup. And sometimes I'd get to my laptop and I'd say, oh, man, who are they going to put at left wing? If they move him, if he plays, what's going to happen? And so I had a Chicago Blackhawk reporter sitting next to me who got no help from his coach. And I dial up Ken Hitchcock and I go, hey, Hitch, yeah. And we literally just got done talking to him 20 <laughs> minutes ago, but I didn't figure out the lineup. And I said, hey, so if Brower plays right wing on that line, then who's going to play second line left wing? Oh, that'll be so-and-so. <laughs> and I hang up with him, and, and the reporter next to me is, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Can you imagine Hitch sitting at his desk going over the schemes for the Knights game with his assistants? Hang on, guys. JR's calling. JR wants the lineup. <laughs> I'll say this, too. I, I interviewed him in 2020 for one of the shows on 101 ESPN, and the part that got me was I asked about his time in St. Louis, and he said, he said, we ran into two hot goaltenders. He said, I truly believe, and I'll die believing this, we would have won two cups in St. Louis while I was head coach. Wow. The year that they went to the Western Conference Final, but he said also the year that they got, I think it was, the, oh, it was Chicago with Corey Crawford, where they got bounced in the first round. He said, those were two years that I thought we had the best team to win Stanley Cups, and we, we just ran into a hot goaltender. So then, guys, tell me, you know, obviously – Tons of respect for this guy, a lot of like for the guy, but then we go back a little bit earlier in the podcast, and there, you know, we hear these stories about like TJ Oshie, who by all accounts is an amazing player, amazing teammate, whole thing, but there 
was a part of Hitch that, did the Hitch message get old? Did he just get to be too much? Like, what ended up being the problem? Why wasn't he the guy here when the car, when the, when the Blues won in 2019? Yeah, 100%. Um, so there's a shelf life for NHL coaches, and and Hitch definitely has one, and I think he does rub guys the wrong way a lot. Uh, he might not see it that way. Maybe he sees it that way, but he thinks that's what's necessary to get you to the level that he wants you to play at. But, I mean, I can't count the number of times that players came up to me in a hallway, on a plane, at a hotel, and said they literally wanted to rip his head off. And, like, <laughs> your fingers would start to tweet, veteran player wants to rip uh, – I can't do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you back off it. But, yeah, I mean, just the methods – to get you and push you to the level that he wanted you at is not the ways they wanted to be pushed sometimes. Well, and, or a lot of times. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Most of the time. Most and time. also, too, though, it's it's sort of a – Hitch came through here. It's sort of the changing of the coaching guard. It was kind of like a weird mix between the old school guys that were still hanging around, which he would have been one, and then some of the, the new school guys that would have probably incorporated the players' feelings a bit more, been more conversational, been more open, that kind of thing. So it was kind of a different – you know, kind of a transitional time in coaching, I feel like, too. And, and that was the best thing about Hitch, and I know there's probably some ex-Blues that played for him who disagree with this, but he tried to evolve with the game. So he went through that era where you told the players what to do, and then he was suddenly coaching in this era where the players wanted to know, why? Why are we doing that? How? You know, what's the deal here? And he would go to the clinics, and he'd be part of these seminars where then he kind of had to learn that, okay, that's what they want, that's what I need to give them. You know, did he perfect that? I don't know, but what I from what I saw is he was a guy who was trying to evolve with the game and provide the players with that. And I think when you ask the question why it didn't work, I think it's the same thing that we heard Doug Armstrong talk this past offseason about, like having to figure out how to communicate with the younger generation. And I think when Hitch was here, when this time started to end, it was the transition into that younger group of players that were starting to become a little bit more veteran-esque that were trying to understand things where Ken Hitchcock was evolving, the players were evolving, and it just wasn't working to where you had a coach in Craig Berube, who I know he was hired after Mike Yo, but they had Mike Yo in place, who they felt like, okay, he's a little bit of the younger generation. He'll be able to kind of communicate this. At least that's my perspective. I mean, you see it in the NHL all the time you got guys that are head coaches that you're like okay well maybe this works John Tortorella is a perfect example it's working in Philly right now but when does it stop working when does that message become okay well this isn't the message we need to continue to pursue Anaheim and how many guys have Anaheim gone through of head coaches trying to figure it out and this Greg Cronin uh, Joey talks about all the time because it was an assistant coach at Northeastern Joey says this is one of the best communicators in hockey so, like, you're starting to see that, and I just think it, it fizzled out with Ken Hitchcock. Yeah. I mean, which, which pardon me, which totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he went to Edmonton, didn't he? Yeah, he went yeah. to Edmonton oh, after the Blues, right. and again, that fizzled out. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, uh, tonight, Blues uh, in uh, home uh, against the Lightning, and then a, uh, a big, long Western uh, road yeah. trip uh, is happening. So, these Lightning, can we talk about them a little bit? I know that uh, uh, that the goaltender, uh, Vasilevsky, is injured, even though I did see him on the ice yesterday skating. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk about this Lightning team. What do the Blues have in store for him tonight? Uh, this is an interesting one for me because I... They're not the same dominant Tampa Bay Lightning team that they've always been, but they still have some of the best players in the game. Like, they still got Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman. Uh, I think it's Johansson is the goaltender that they've been using, but they've kind of been going through a couple of different guys. Uh, They're always a dangerous team. Uh, This... 
you started this month, and I personally thought that, man, you might be in for a world of hurt for the Blues because, I mean, you were going on an 8-10 to game stretch where it was tough after tough after tough, and you've won four of the five games right now when you take on a Tampa Bay team, and then after that you play Western Conference teams the rest of the way. But, I mean, Tampa's probably just as identical to the New Jersey Devils when you played against them. I'd say they're pretty identical to the Colorado Avalanche in terms of you've got an okay goaltender, you got a really good defense, and it's just a matter of finding ways to to eliminate their offensive weapon. But, I mean, you got to give props to the Blues right now. At 5-on-5, five five, they're not allowing anything. And these aren't just schlub teams that they've gone up against. They're not allowing much to New Jersey, to Montreal, to Arizona. Even Winnipeg didn't have a whole lot in store other than one period. So I don't think it really matters who the team is that comes in. Yeah, what I see now, Donnie, with this Blues team is just the confidence and the willingness to play for each other. Uh, that's something that we talked about at the start of the season. It's really coming to fruition here lately. I, I, you can see the camaraderie with this group that we didn't see at any point last year. And, you know, you don't want to say you didn't see it at the start of this year. It just didn't have time to develop. But now I think it's starting to develop and their game's starting to come around. So the first eight games of the year, when we were talking about they had no offense, uh, they averaged 25 shots on goal per game. I looked the other day and, and crunched it the last uh, five games in which they've won four. Uh, they're up to 34 shots a game, so almost nine more shots a game. And I said that to Craig Bruby yesterday. I said, hey, you know, nine more shots. And he said, yeah, but it's not just the shots. It's how we're getting the shots. And, you know, the, the, the passing is crisp, and we're getting the pucks on net, and there's rebounds, and now there's guys sitting in front willing to do that. So the goals are up now, too. I think they're 4.4 in, yeah. in this five-game stretch, which is third in the NHL in those five games. So small sample size, but if you're a Blues fan two weeks ago, you would take this <laughs> right, right. right. So it's been a lot better. So yeah, you got Tampa 6-5-1, and one, I think I see on the standings here. Then you got a San Jose team that you should wallop. And, yeah. and then, God, uh, I'm so worried about playing a San Jose team because you don't want to be like the Edmonton Oilers where you lose to them and it's like, oh, geez, here we go again. Right, take then, it for granted yeah. sort of thing. Then an up-and-coming uh, Anaheim team. You mentioned Cronin, the head coach, uh, on Sunday. And then uh, next week against uh, Arizona. So, uh, gosh, how many times have they played Arizona? I know. Yeah, no Welcome kidding. back to the bubble. It seems like. And also, too, you know what? We can we can talk real quick. This is this is silliness, and this is just me being dumb. But like, I appreciate that that arena is a college arena, and that it's so cool that it's so small. Get the hell out of here! Like, get the hell out of here! It's pathetic. They need to be in an NHL friggin' arena. And also, too, at this point. It just seems like the NHL is hell-freaking-bent on making it work in Arizona. So let's just something, just something. Yeah. Can they just play at a big boy arena for the love of people? I really can't wait till a playoff series happens and they're playing in, like, would be with 3,000 people. They can't even accommodate all of the media. Like, imagine them if for some odd reason they would go on some run and get to a Western Conference final. You can't even accommodate those people. And I've seen those Western Conference final games. If you're, yeah. if you're a player, how does that not embarrass the bejesus out of you? Yeah. That, that is your home ice. I, I think it does. From what I've heard, though, and you know, we're talking about a college campus and one of the best yeah. I was going to say, it's I've, Arizona. I've, I've heard that they don't mind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're going to get through it. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. like it's a college campus up in Winnipeg yeah. right now, you know? <laughs> but this will be my second trip when I go next week. And I've sat there for one, and um, you guys can picture this. So you've got like a small lower bowl, right? I mean, super small. But then there's like a railing with a little maybe six-inch ledge. That's the desk for press row. So I put my laptop on this little oh. ledge, and, and the right in front of me are the seats, well, I, you know, I always self-deprecate, right? Give myself trouble for being a big guy. This feller that was sitting in front of me, 
that was about the size of a Tyson chicken truck. <laughs> I literally had to step to the side to be able to watch the game. So anyway, oh my god, when, when that's you go crazy. To, when you go to thirty-one ranks. You know, visiting rinks. You know, you're used to being in a press box. This is not a press box. You know, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> JR felt like Buddy the Elf in the yeah. shower. <laughs> Dude, when I, when I was in uh, Detroit last week uh, and at Little Caesars Arena, it was, and I had been there very briefly before because my son and I had been in Detroit and we went into the, the little, like, fan shop or whatever, but I had a chance to really kind of go around. And they have done such an amazing job of making that almost not feel like an arena when you're in the concourse. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you're in a, a mall or a restaurant or something. <laughs> it's, it's it's beautiful. That's the Taj Mahal, that it, place. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. And then also, too, and I told you this, it was very crazy to be walking through the concourse and to see one of those banners for Jake Waldman. You know, <laughs> like, like, and no disrespect to Jake. I like Jake when he was here. I'm glad that he's doing well in Detroit. But it was just like, I did not well, know that he prob- was a foundational Red Wing. You probably felt you were at a Blues home game because they got a banner for Waldman and Fabry and Huso and Perron. Only Huso and Perron. Or, uh, sorry, only Huso and Waldman. Wow. No Perron. Because I was going to do the picture. Uh-huh. Hey, <laughs> and uh, and I, I couldn't find it. Um, but I did see that badass Ted Lindsay statue, which is oh, one yeah. of the freaking coolest statues that I've ever seen. Uh, also, too, I was going to buy a Wings shirt. Um, I, I was, but I could not find the the jersey with Perron on the back. Oh, there you go. So I can't. Yeah. I, and it just still felt. Feels weird. Real, yeah. real weird. But how do you do that, though, man? Because I just like hockey. Sometimes yeah, no. I like hockey players. My dad, every time, because when I was growing up going to the games, he would always point out the jerseys. He's like, the San Jose Sharks jerseys, those teal greens, the Blackhawks jersey, which I couldn't believe he said it, and the Red Wings jersey. He's like, those are the three best jerseys with the Blues in the NHL. And he's like, Dad, what the hell are you talking about? It's the Red Wings and Blackhawks. But now that like you grow up and you get like an actual like understanding and appreciation for it, those are some pretty badass jerseys. Okay, you guys, I don't know if you saw the thing yesterday from Carolina where the, the, oh, the, yeah, the, the Hurricanes are going to wear the not only the Whaler jerseys, but the Cooper, yep. the pants, the hockey pants. I think that that's awesome. But I, as I was reading this this thread, not everybody thinks it's awesome. <laughs> what do you guys think? I love it. I mean, that's a, that's so cool. I mean, you got on For a game? That, yeah, people that are pissed off about it because it's, we're the Hurricanes, we're not the Hartford Whalers. You, like, you don't have an appreciation for like the fact that you weren't the Carolina Hurricanes. You started as the Hartford Whalers. I love those. Frankly, I think those should come back every once in a while. I like it, and you always hear that debate, like you're putting on these, what are essentially shorts, yeah. right? And you, they, everybody calls them hockey pants. Yeah. Yeah. Legit pants. Yeah. That's Man. like when they went to the old, the, they went back this season to the uh, old school Arizona Coyotes jerseys. That was the best decision they could have ever made because I hated the one that was just the Coyote and they started making these weird like color schemes with it. Like go back to, I forgot what they're called, but like go back to that original like Tyson Nash, Keith Kachuk, Arizona Coyotes jerseys. Well, they, so I made fun of the purple jersey. Yeah. Because I thought it was atrocious. And Phoenix and Arizona tweeted me back and said, imagine having this bad a fashion sense or something like that. Well, then they saw our reverse retro jerseys, which I love, by the way. I love, by the way. You caught yourself. That's all the red ones. And then the only thing that I could fire back was was something about winning a Stanley Cup, and then I was just nice. like, oh, God. That's just a real lame friggin' response to getting friggin' schooled by the Arizona Coyotes yeah. friggin' media guy. But I just thought that jersey was stupid. I still think it's stupid, and I don't understand why anybody likes it. <laughs> It's just purple, all right, Donnie? You just don't like the color purple. 
I'm just, I think I'm just going back to being crabby. The more, the longer the podcast goes, the ha- the happier I am. I have Blues hockey to, to to watch tonight, but the more pissed off I am about the Bills. And then today, my favorite Bills podcast is going to be out, so I'm going to have to go back and listen to friggin' that. And then just the reality, my hands are starting to sweat for the love of Pete. <laughs> I don't understand why I take this so seriously. <laughs> I had this pit in my stomach last night. Like something really, truly bad had happened to me. <laughs> Nothing bad had happened. My kids are healthy. My girl is hot. Everything is good. <laughs> Life is good. Hey, quick question on that. Do, do you ever wake up the next morning and your first thought, because you're barely conscious, and you say to yourself, didn't something bad happen last night? And I'll go, oh, it wasn't that bad. Never mind. Are you still waking up the next morning going, yeah, it was bad? He's waking up till yeah. the next Sunday yeah. saying that was bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be sitting on this yeah. one for a couple days. I mean, that, days. Was, that was Denver. Like, <laughs> And I don't and I don't even like, um, I, I just don't even know. Man, I don't, I have not been, you know, because like I'm, I'm very passionate about the Blues, obviously. But, like, I have not been this, like, worked up about anything, honestly, probably since the Stanley Cup run. Like, I like, like, game days are not, are not happy days for me. They're angsty. Like, (laughs) you know, I should be enjoying this way more than I am. It's also because the team's been kind of. Ass this season, so it makes it even more angsty, right? Thanks, thanks for pointing it out. Oh, Alex. Sorry, thanks, damn man. it, that's twice thanks, today. <laughs> that was once again. All right, gentlemen, I think we're going to uh, wrap this up. I got to go be on the radio. No. If that's all right with you, oh. is that a flex? That was. It's a uh, weird not, flex. Not really. Not, yeah, Jared's got to go really, be online too. Yeah, so. very, that's a very weird flex. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't mean for it to be that way. And if it was, it was a very lame one. Gentlemen, we got to wrap this up. I got to go work. Right, right. I got I to gotta do that. So uh, thank you guys uh, very much for uh, for Always. joining. Uh, it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to get a chance to do this. It's so crazy, Jeremy, when I am reading the articles that you write, and I'm like, holy smokes, I'm going to do a podcast with this guy tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's just unbelievable, man. You're really freaking good at what you do. No, no, no. Yeah, you no. are, and no. <laughs> and, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna just fill this room with love, Alex. I love and it. I know how tough the pre and the post game could be. Well, both of you guys dealing with the team winning and losing, and how the fans react to you. You guys just both do a hell of a great job. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Yeah, I just don't know how Alex does it where he's here at 9 a.m. for a podcast, and let's say the game was in Vancouver tonight. He'd be oh, done yeah, at about 1 be, in the morning. That'll be Thursday for you guys. So when <laughs> see? you see me Friday, I'll be like, uh. So, so, so wait, though. So so will you eat, will you go home for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, okay. those late games I go home because but then I can go home and do bath time with the girls. And Donnie, then do the show 11 to 2 as BK and Ferrario, then come back for pre, then he's got the intermissions, then do the post. No, the, post <laughs> the post games are the brutal ones. Yeah. Post games, because especially like when when things are like bad or like the game is like people want to talk about it and or if i have things that i want to say i'm all hopped up on energy and so it's like eh, it might go a little longer oh shoot it's 1 30 in the morning maybe i should wrap this one up grant francis probably hates me most of the time because he's looking at me like dude are really are we done but thursdays is a 9 30 start so it's like dude that's awesome. another that's another one man and i and we have to get him in here at some point or the other but grant francis man oh, I, am, yeah. I he's really good he's incredible he knows 20 times more about hockey than I do. That's for damn it's, sure. It's weird, too, because he's got this, like, window of knowledge. Like, you ask him, like, mid-2000s stuff, he's probably not going to remember it. But, like, from 2013 to 2019, he could tell you the dude that scored the goal in the second period in the exact time that he scored the goal. <laughs> like, Grant, what did you do for your life in six years? <laughs> it's like, I oh, watched hockey. Well, yeah, he asked me a couple of Blues trivia questions. He was filling in um, um, uh, on, the, on the morning show. Yeah. And so he asked me a couple of trivia questions, and I was like, 
I have no idea, dude. <laughs> oh, and then he and answers it like, you're the idiot. Dude, exactly. Yeah. He kicks it in the uh-huh. Just like that, I'm like, oh, yeah. uh, all right. I just want to let everybody know that I'm the music guy that also <laughs> loves sports, okay? Okay. I'm not the primary yeah, sports guy. the blues pre- and post-game guy, and he asks you the questions. He's like, you don't know this? I'm like, cool. Thanks, Grant. I'm just going to go in the bathroom and cry for a couple of minutes. Dude, it's like that sort of thing, like, when my kids ask me about music and I don't know the answer, and then my daughter kind of looks at me like... I thought, this was, I thought this was your life. Like I thought this is what you did. Okay, uh, we will be back a little bit later on this week. I believe Mr. Jamie Rivers Hello. will be joining us for the next episode uh, from the road. Uh, thank you very much to Jeremy Rutherford, to Alex Ferrario. My name is Donnie Fandango. We thank you for listening to the Last Minute Blues Podcast. As always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.